Welcome to Speculative Sandbox. This is Vicky Lawn, and I'm going on a short hiatus to work on book revisions, but I've asked my fellow author friends to take care of the podcast while I'm away. Don't forget to subscribe or follow Speculative Sandbox on Instagram and X, formerly Twitter, to get episode notifications and upcoming news. I look forward to chatting again soon. Storytelling in media has changed in the last 20 to 30 years. What was once piecemeal and episodic has transformed into overarching thematic plot lines, treating the episodes in a TV show or entries in a film franchise more like chapters. It doesn't seem like it's going to change anytime soon. My name is Garrett K. Jones, and I'm doing a one-time takeover of the Speculative Sandbox Podcast. Hello out there to all the sandboxers. Hopefully you remember me from the discussion on unreliable narrators from the early part of August. If not, that's okay. Let me reintroduce myself. I am the author of a five-book ongoing fantasy series called The Archives of Isink Ran, and I have a book of original poetry available on Kindle and audiobook called The Lover, The Fighter, and The Philosopher. When I'm not writing, I host a show on YouTube called The Right Way, where we talk about book recommendations, author interviews, and creative writing tips. I also co-host a podcast called War of the Stars, a Star Wars podcast, where I and my co-host, John Mark Tolley, talk all things Star Wars, and our current conversations break down what we like and what we dislike about the new Ahsoka series on Disney+. I'll have more information about that connecting me and connecting with me towards the end of the episode. Today's topic is a discussion on how storytelling has evolved in media from television to movies over the last few decades. Over the last 20 to 30 years, there has been a shift in the storytelling format. Up through the late 90s or early 2000s, most TV shows and movies were standalone and episodic. The stories tightly contained within individual runtimes. While there were multiple films within a franchise that made callbacks to previous entries like Star Trek, Star Wars, or even Back to the Future, most of the time the films are self-contained. But with the 2008 advent of the MCU, that all changed, and for 11 years... Audiences were blown away, for the most part, by the spectacle that Marvel put out a few times each year. Obviously, there were some hang-ups and some not-so-strong entries like Captain Marvel or The Incredible Hulk. Um, But, for the most part, the first three phases of the MCU, uh, which have been dubbed the Infinity Saga, were pretty strong. But I'll be perfectly honest that while I have kept up with the MCU as it's moved into the rather lackluster Phase 4 and Phase 5, I'm getting fatigued. And it's it's less because of the superhero genre. I love superheroes. When I did my bachelor's degree in creative writing, my focus was on comic literature. I love comic books. I love graphic novels. I love superheroes. I grew up wanting to be Batman. And then I realized that I just wanted Batman's wonderful toys because being Batman actually kind of sucks because then you have to be an orphan. 
So yeah, all the money in the world would not be able to uh, separate me from my parents. I love them very dearly. But that being said, it's not the superhero genre that's fatiguing me. So while people have been talking about superhero fatigue on social media and in the media, uh, that's not what my issue is. My issue is from the constant barrage of content that Disney is putting out. It feels like that I have to do homework. And I really, really, really hate having to do homework. And this is coming from someone who uh, has done at least two and a half college degrees. Uh, so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to dealing with homework. I used to love being that guy that knew everything about the content going into the movies. I was the fanboy that my friends and family members would go to to get a clear picture of what to expect, especially if it's something that they weren't familiar with or they had just a passing knowledge of, and especially when obscure characters like the Guardians of the Galaxy were being brought into the mainstream of Marvel. They like Nobody knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy were, prior to 2014 and if they did it's because they read the really obscure comics and nobody else got those references now with that said uh it's also clear to me that star wars is becoming incredibly similar to the mcu in terms of the content sewer pipe of sludge that's being churned out at disney's behest now i love star wars i do um I read the books, I've read the graphic novels, the comic books, uh, I've collected uh, DVDs of the Clone Wars, both the, the 2D miniseries as well as the computer animated uh, cartoon that ran on Cartoon Network. I love Star Wars. Not so much the newer stuff uh, as far as the films, but I do love Star Wars. Um, but... And I, but I co-host a Star Wars podcast, and I'm four episodes into watching Ahsoka, and it kind of feels like a pointless slog just to get through one episode of that show in order to review it on my show. My co-host doesn't know how I feel about this yet. I'm probably going to bring it up in, in our next recording. But my fatigue, I, I recognize that my fatigue might just be because there's so much long-form storytelling that I'm wearing myself out with every piece of content that I'm consuming and I'm not being more selective in the shows that I watch that actually entertain and inspire me because ultimately as a writer and a published author that's what I look for I search for those things that will inspire my own creativity not because I want to copy that but because I want it to fuel that creative juice uh, I have a common statement that I make um, when I do interviews with other podcasts or I'm talking about storytelling in general. Um, you cannot be able to produce material unless you are constantly consuming it, uh, meaning you cannot come up with something creative unless you are reading something in that genre or, some, or something by an author that writes similarly to the style that you want to emulate. Uh, so reading, uh, and I guess to an extent, watching uh, media content is uh, like breathing in. It's the inhalation, and the creative output is the exhalation or the breathing out. Um, but it's important. You can't just take everything and just consume that because not everything is good. Just like with food, you know, I mean, while the while McDonald's seems like a quick and easy 
thing, it's actually not that great for you, and there are better alternatives out there than than McDonald's. So with my, of course, you know, I'm probably going to go run over to McDonald's right now as soon as I'm done with this recording, uh, just to go grab dinner. So, you know, I'll eat my words. Uh, but getting back on topic, most television shows up through the time that I was in late high school, early college, most television shows, you know, the, the only time we got callbacks to previous episodes were in flashback episodes that used footage, like canned uh, footage from those earlier moments as a montage of character memories. This afforded television producers and studios to cut back on the amount of new footage and save some money uh, because film could be expensive. Um, now everything's done digitally. They don't really have to worry about that. It's more about the time for the actors and producers on set and paying all of, all of those bills. Um, but it did help save money back then. And while still helping the audience recall some of those emotional moments from earlier in the series, because sometimes uh, if you were new to something, you were jumping into it you know, midway, you didn't have the instant streaming that we have now. You had to go back and watch reruns. And if it wasn't syndicated, you know, you caught it maybe once in a blue moon. So going back and rewatching the episode, you know, it was really hard to do. Um, but I want to say that, that, like I said, it changed in the 90s with the release of the Joss Whedon Helm series Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, I didn't watch the series as much. I did watch the film starring Christy Swanson and the late Luke Perry and the late Paul Rubens, as a matter of fact. Um, and while, while the series featured a Monster of the Week motif in earlier seasons, much of the show's run carried overarching themes and plot threads meant to be consequential to what happened from the previous seasons to the next season that came after all culminating in a big showdown in either the season finale or eventually dovetailing into the series finale. All those things would culminate. Uh, all of those plot points would do that. Now, before this, several TV shows did two-part cliffhangers. Usually when they wanted to change something up in the series, like cast members or plot threads, and those elements usually came at the end of the season, working its way into the season uh, season opener for the next season. Uh, it was a way of building dramatic tension and keeping the audience members invested during reruns uh, so that they could produce the new content uh, for the fall. Um, and, and it was really kind of cool. Uh, one of the most notable examples for me was the show Friends. I, I grew up watching the show. I loved it. It came out when I was in middle school. It finished when I was in college. Um, so it was a, as far as entertainment, that show had a huge place in my my life developing from teenager to, to young adult. Uh, there were three big two-parter cliffhangers that I remember on the show. The first was in season three after Ross and Rachel split up after their big fight and Ross kind of sort of cheated on her with the girl from the copy shop and the gang goes to the beach house. Ross is currently dating Phoebe's friend Bonnie and Rachel realizes during the course of these episodes that she still loves Ross and begins trying to sabotage his relationship. Uh, getting to the point where she actually convinces Bonnie to shave her head, uh, which she knows is going to be an immediate turnoff for Ross. Um, 
And eventually Ross comes to realize that he still has feelings for Rachel. He, those haven't gone away, obviously, because, you know, he pined for her back in high school. Um, and so he has to make a choice. Uh, and the first half of this two-parter ends with him standing in the hallway of the upstairs floor of this beach house with a door on either side. It's, you know, it's not even thematic. It's very on the nose. And he cautiously enters one of the rooms and says, hi. And you don't see who he's talking to until the start of the next episode. And obviously it turns out to be Rachel and he and Bonnie split up and he and Rachel get back together. But then Rachel hands him this note that requires him to take responsibility for certain things. And he actually, he never actually read the note and yeah, they break up again. Ugh, it's a whole mess. Will they, won't they, Ross and Rachel. Anyway, the second two-parter of the show uh, came at the end of season four. And this is where Ross gets married in England to Emily. And Rachel shows up unexpectedly to the wedding, even though she was not invited whatsoever. She's even told by Phoebe, don't do it, leave it alone, stay away, stay here in New York, don't go. Um, but she shows up unexpectedly, and apparently the presence, her presence confuses Ross so much that he ends up saying Rachel's name at the altar instead of Emily's. And the conclusion of that cliffhanger doesn't drop until... And that was in May of 1998. The the conclusion of that cliffhanger didn't drop until September of 1998. So people had to wait four months for the start of season five to figure out what was going to happen next. Uh, but this is where things get more interesting because while most of the episodes were one-off throughout the series, there were some major plot threads that had dominance in each season and had consequences going into following seasons. So like... The two-parter from season three going into season four with with Ross and Bonnie and Rachel and that little triangle, um, it culminated in in Ross and Rachel breaking up over the letter that she wrote to him and him not wanting to take responsibility for things in their prior relationship status, uh, which led him towards getting involved with Emily in the first place and uh, and getting engaged. And what's funny is. He actually uh, kind of took on that responsibility of, of getting to know Emily because Rachel's boss asked her to kind of hang out with Emily while she was visiting New York and she pawned it off on Ross, hoping that they'd just be cool and be friends about it. And she ends up putting him into the arms of this other woman that he falls in love with. <clears throat> um, but yeah, you had these consequences going throughout following seasons and things would lead from one to the next. Um, and it's it was actually during this two-parter that, that Chandler and Monica become a romantic pairing, which leads to them eventually getting married uh, and being the couple of the show far beyond the scope of Ross and Rachel ever were. Um, now, I really didn't notice the overarching themes of modern storytelling or chilling in film and television um, until the early 2000s. The series Smallville, which is based on the early life of Superman growing up in rural Kansas, was one of those first experiences where a television program had specific story arcs taking place over the course of a single season that produced consequences that were going to uh, affect following seasons. Uh, and 
The goal of the showrunners was to develop not only Clark Kent as the future Superman, they also wanted to develop the relationship that he had with other characters, uh, like his parents, like his love interests in Lana Lang and Lois Lane, and especially introducing the threats that he would inevitably face. Um, one of the things that the show does very beautifully, which uh, part, uh, partners off of the comics, was that there was uh, an initial budding but kind of uneasy friendship between Lex Luthor and Clark Kent. Um, now, while Clark starts off with his super speed and his super strength, his other powers develop over the course of the series. Each new ability happens during a time when he needs it, uh, though the circumstances surrounding him practicing the X-ray vision did feel a little contrived. It was really cool, though, to see how the powers didn't just show up suddenly. They allowed him time to mature through that ability and train it like any other muscle in his body. Um, and like Buffy, Smallville did have their Freak of the Week episode motif, uh, but each of those episodes served a purpose with some of those villain characters coming back in later seasons, either because they they posed an additional threat or because of a chance at redemption, which Superman has always been about that hopeful idea that people can be redeemed. Um, Superman has always tried to see the best in everyone, even when he knows deep down they won't change. This overarching storyline motif is now the norm. In fact, it was made the entire structure for one of my favorite shows, How I Met Your Mother. The entire series is one long continuous story arc from the pilot episode to the series finale. It's the story of the main character, Ted Mosby. So if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert. But he's relaying the story to his kids of how the title says, How He Met Their Mother. Uh, how I Met Your Mother is simultaneously one of the best examples of long-form storytelling in media and one of the worst. It's the best because the storytelling is incredibly consistent from start to finish. It keeps track of every subplot, side plot, running gag, and inside joke that ever takes place in the show. And that's a lot for the writers to keep up with. And that's not taking into account all of the flashbacks, flash forwards, and flash sideways that take place in each episode. Most most 30-minute sitcom shows only film about 20 scenes that get pared down into that, that runtime. For How I Met Your Mother, the producers were filming like 60 scenes an episode because of all of that. The one inconsistency, though, and it's really nothing major, is a joke about the characters Marshall and Lily, who are they're engaged in the first couple of seasons and then they get married... Um, and they're married throughout the rest of the show, uh, but they're using the same toothbrush. They're sharing that toothbrush, which also happens to be Ted's toothbrush. Um, although there are some scenes prior to this early in the series where Marshall and Lily are both seen using separate toothbrushes. So go figure. Um, but like most run long running sitcoms, it tends to lean into the absurd, especially with the personality quirks, catchphrases and other things uh, that pop up in shows like this. But those elements work because like all good stories told in hindsight, things get way embellished. But it's the finale of the show where things drop. The show creators weren't sure if they were going to get picked up beyond season one. So they filmed all the season, uh, all the scenes where Ted is talking directly to his kids in the future 
uh, in one go. So the kids never look like they age over the show's nine-year run. Uh, they never reshot the ending of the series. So regardless of how many twists and turns Ted's story took to get to the end, it was destined to end the way that it did, where the tit- where the title mother was hardly in the show. There's barely any time to really see her and Ted fall in love and get together, get to know each other. And those sequences feel rushed in the finale, with the show coming to a close, with Ted asking his kids for permission to ask Robin Trubatsky, his previous romantic flame from most of the season, or most of the series, on a date. Uh, and it's been years since his wife died, and he's now oh, he's been a widower for during that time. The writers essentially painted themselves into a corner because they either couldn't or just didn't consider shooting an alternative conversation with the kids that dovetailed more neatly in the directions that the rest of the series took over the course of its run. However, one of the bo- one of the best and most recent examples that I uh, that I have seen of long form storytelling in media that does it the best is hands down the show Ted Lasso on Apple TV. And if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil anything for you. Um, but it's about a, a Midwestern football coach who goes to coach uh, football or soccer, as we Americans call it, over in the UK. And I thought it looked dumb. I wasn't a fan of Jason Sudeikis before this, but this show has... uh, I've had to reevaluate my appreciation for his sense of uh, comedy and his acting. Um, But I also like British comedy, and there's a lot of that in the show. So the storytelling in Ted Lasso is absolutely amazingly solid. The characters never veer into wacky, over-the-top antics. It never gets absurd. Uh as you see in some other sitcoms, it's very locked in, very realistic in the way the characters come off. But it also hits far more emotional connections with the audience than other shows like it. While How I Met Your Mother does have some really emotional beats throughout its run, like when Marshall's father died suddenly. Uh, there's a there's a um, subliminal countdown. Every scene has numbers somewhere in the in the frame of the camera. And you see this subtle countdown happening. And when Lily shows up to tell Marshall that his father died, the number on the cab that she was in is zero. And if you don't if you don't notice it, you don't notice it, and that's fine. But it's there, um, and it's this heart wrenching heart wrenching moment. Um, but uh, Ted Lasso does something different. It's nothing is as pro, is as apropos as what we see in Ted Lasso, Uh, especially given the fact that it came out in 2020 during the height of the pandemic, during the height of the lockdowns, um, and it deals with uh, the the title character's anxiety, his loss, his fear of rejection, the very same things that many of us were going through during that time, during that year. For me, this made a very personal impact because of the way certain subjects were tackled in the story. Uh, there's a, the, the topic of divorce comes out throughout all three seasons. And I'm a recent divorcee. And so this hit some emotional beats for me that I connected with immediately. Uh, the other thing I really liked about it was that it looks at the characters who are toxic, at characters who are toxic or have toxic traits. But the toxic traits aren't because of their masculinity, like some people in social media would say, or femininity. But because... 
these are people that are broken and they're forced to recognize their brokenness and the brokenness of other people around them. And they are given a chance to redeem themselves and to improve upon it. One of the best lines from the show is when Ted is playing darts against the ex-husband of his boss, Rebecca. He talks about how the bullies he dealt with as a kid judged him and weren't curious about him, using the anecdote as an assessment of Rupert, his opponent. But it's this curiosity that we see Ted exhibit from the very first episode where he asks questions to understand. And he listens, not just to, not just to respond, but to understand and respond with that understanding because he wants to know these people. I won't break down the why of that because that's... I want you guys to watch the show. It's really good. But the series, which I think was meant to run longer than just three seasons, comes to a well-scripted, well-deserved close that does an incredible service to the story and its characters in a way that doesn't feel rushed or shoehorned into place, like the How I Met Your Mother finale. The focus of the show focuses on Ted coming in as this new coach, building up the team, building up the brand, uh, building up the program, uh, he's completely ill-prepared for it. The next season is is a is a um, is a team-building season where he's he's trying to figure things out and bring characters uh, bring his players to the point where they need to be. And then season three is where they go guns blazing right back into the strength that they should have had in season one or the the strength that they were expected to have in season one. It is well worth watching. But I will say this as I wrap up, that I do enjoy long-form narrative arcs in media today, even though some of them, as I mentioned earlier, feel a little fatiguing. I really enjoy having a TV series with a story that segues nicely into building up character arcs and plot threads until the characters themselves have hit their final evolution into the fully realized versions that they are intended to be. But... I will also say that there are times when I miss the one-off standalone episodes. They're fun, they're quirky, and they are just plain entertaining. That 70s show was, was great for this because the episodes could be watched in isolation and even if you were new to the story, you could sit down to an episode and instantly get a bead on each character, what the deal was, and see how they were, how fleshed out they were as characters within the story. Another comedy that I like that hits a similar vein for me is Archer on FX, which is in the middle of its 14th and final season. And it might feel long in the tooth, but the seasons are relatively short compared to the 21 to 25 episode runs that The Simpsons have been on for more than 30 years. I caramba. But like The Simpsons, you can tack uh, any you can you can start any episode of Archer, watch it out of order and still be fully immersed in the characters and their roles and still be entertained by what is going on in the show. Ultimately, when this question comes up about long form versus short form uh, storytelling, it's really important to ask yourself what you enjoy and what do you want to watch or listen to. After all, these are your entertainment preferences. I have a coworker, and we were talking about movies the other day. He was telling me that what draws him to a movie or a TV show isn't the franchise that it's a part of so much as the director who is helming the project. One of his favorite directors is Denis Villeneuve, and I'm probably butchering that because I'm not French. And the only film series 
that my coworker is a fan of is Dune because he loves the books and he's a fan. And since he's a fan of both the books and the, the director, the new films that are being put out by Warner Brothers serve as a marriage of those two factors. It's the best of both worlds for him because he loves the story, he loves the director, and the director's sense of a visual aesthetic, and those two things come together in these new films. Uh, so if you're drawn to a long-form series, great. If you're drawn to more standalone, episodic storytelling, great. Just don't run with the crowd because you want to be a part of the herd. Enjoy entertainment for the art form it is, and if it stops feeling like art because the the writers and the creators are creatively bankrupt and would rather push some bogus agenda than tell a good story, then ditch it like I did my childhood paper route. Sleep in and gravitate to what piques your interests more. I want to thank you guys for listening. Again, my name is Garrett K. Jones. Um, if you are interested in connecting with me on social media, I'm on both X and Instagram at GKJ underscore publishing. Uh, you can connect with me on YouTube. The channel is called GKJ publishing where I do my show the right way, where we talk book recommendations, author interviews, creative writing tips. I'm getting ready to start, uh, the next season of my, of my show, which actually launches on October 7th. Um, so if you're interested in that, you can always jump on onto that. Hopefully, the links are going to be in the in the podcast description. Uh, you can also find me on War of the Stars. Um, you can uh, connect with us on on uh, most platforms. Uh, we just got partnered up with Geek News Now, uh, so you can find us at geeknewsnow.podbean.com, uh, where our new episodes are are airing. But you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Um, you can search for us at, uh, at War of the Stars One uh, on Twitter and Instagram, and we love talking all things Star Wars. Um, so, with that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed what I had to say. Uh, your comments are more than welcome, um, and hopefully, you'll uh, something in what I said today uh, will strike a chord with you, for good or for bad. So, until next time. Keep on uh, building that sandbox, dumping sand in there, and because that's the writing process. Everything else, we're carving it out to make the sand castle, that's the editing process. So until then, talk with you later. Speculative Sandbox is a volunteer-run podcast that relies on the collaboration of fellow creators like you. Join the conversation and participate in fun polls and questionnaires on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Interested in being in a future episode? Our DMs are open, or you can email speculativesandbox at gmail.com.